You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Oh, long since we have uttered those words. I am your humble host, Pete Rogers, joined as always by Just Clark Barnes and Mr. Class Jordan Smith. You guys, it's been two weeks of utter silence. How are we doing? It's great to be back. It feels good. Yes. I feel like. Fantastic, Pete. And I just want to make sure that at some point in this show, which will be right now, we stop to congratulate you on your holy matrimony. Thank you. Your honeymoon, which looked very fun. Uh, I'm sure everyone uh, really missed us for two weeks while we didn't talk about the stories that are completely unimportant in the offseason. Uh, I hope you had a great time. I wish you the best in your new endeavor here with this marriage. And also glad to have you back. Oh, thanks, guys. The wedding was great. Tons of fun. Uh, so we got married in Minnesota, and it was beautiful, beautiful ceremony, and had tons and tons of fun. Um, the coolest thing that we've come that we're coming to now is seeing the taxes, the tax <laughs> thing. <laughs> Not yet, but that's oh, going to be okay. a lot of fun. That yeah. come March. That's come March. It's going to be great. Um, but we're starting to get all of our friends and family who took photos during the ceremony and during the, you know, the whole reception and the whole uh, evening and afternoon. They're starting to send those to us. And so it's really fun looking over them because you get to see, you know, obviously pictures of us and like different perspectives. But also you get to see like moments of the wedding that we didn't partake in uh, because we were out, you know, taking photos or like saying hi and thanks to all of our guests. Um, and so it's fun to like see parts of the aspects of the wedding that you weren't a part of cool um and then yeah and then we went on our honeymoon we did drove up route one up the coast of california so we flew into la uh went up to paso robles and drank a bunch of wine and then drove up to big through big sur to monterey went to the monterey bay aquarium and had a good time there had some delicious dinners including this one place that we ate at which was just gorgeous um and then we flew home and now and now married life is settling in so I have to ask the question on everyone's mind. <laughs> After I spent some time in California, I was completely exhausted with IPAs. Have you blown out your IPA tolerance or are you still part of the IPA army? Well, so I'm currently drinking an IPA, so I haven't burnt out. We actually didn't have any beer in California. It was all wine. It was the most amount of wine I think I've ever had in my life. Uh, and then we had some cocktails here and there, but we did not have mu- we didn't have much beer actually. It was it was a mainly wine focused trip. 
for the older listeners to the podcast, you'll get this reference. Whenever I drink wine, I feel like I'm on an episode of Absolutely Fabulous. And so I just assume that's what everyone else acts like when they add to a dread wine. Uh, my new life goal now is to get Clark drunk on wine for the show so we can see Clark thinking that he's on Absolutely Fabulous. I'm ready, guys. I'm ready to <laughs> yes. I'm ready to travel. This is this is our off season off season podcast and waiting where we all just drink different alcohols and we see how we all react to them. We already know Clark has like five different alcohol personas that we all know about on the podcast. Yeah. No one no one knows mine or, or Jordan's <laughs> Jordan's personas. We've gotta we've gotta start educating the people on, on our different personas based on what we drink. You know, to be honest, I'm just kind of scared to have anything other than a beer, you know? <laughs> oh, you got to just like sit back and let it rip, man. I'm telling you, it's great. It's oh, I'm so excited. Um, but yes, so that it, it was it was very exciting. It was a beautiful week. Uh, it was lots of lots and lots of fun. And now back to the grind. Hey, congratulations. Yes. And I saw someone in our group messenger uh, report this. Or say this, you picked the best time to get married ever as a fantasy football person because this is the absolute doldrums of the season. So literally well nothing. Done, literally nothing happened. It was a perfect time for us to take two weeks off on the podcast because just absolutely think, nothing happened. You think that was a coincidence, Clark? I don't yeah, think so. Exactly. Oh no. I, I am giving full credit. Full we credit for a cool for a clever scheme here. When we were planning it two uh, a year ago. I was like, "All right, well, we need to get married the first week of July because nothing will happen in the fantasy world." No. Actually, the coolest thing. This was entirely by coincidence. Uh, did not plan this at all, but very cool that it worked out. Uh, I actually proposed to Becca on August first, two thousand seventeen, and we got married July first, two thousand eighteen, which is kind of cool. Eight one one seven and seven one one eight. I don't know anything about planning weddings, but my guess is that's a pretty good turnaround. <laughs> yeah. Well, we actually picked our venue and date before I proposed, so we're ah, yeah. That's the way to do it. And that and we didn't romantic. So <laughs> romantic. And we didn't even uh, we didn't really even have a choice in the day. It was like, oh, we love this place, and they only have this date available. Guess we're getting married then. So there you go. That's how you plan a wedding. I feel like that's just saving you a problem. Like, it really actually turned out really nice because it was. Yeah, exactly. It was like we don't have to figure out what date. I think that seems I think that's unless you unless you're planning like years in advance or or picking kind of like a local or maybe your like own family or friends have a place that you can get married. And I feel like most people just kind of stumble into their date because it's what's available. Who knows? Yeah. And if you're planning your marriage out years in advance. You might want to reprioritize things. You might just want to get married. Just get married earlier. It's a lot of fun. It's a shotgun trip. wedding. Shoot us. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think in today's terminology should be changed from the idea of having a, a shotgun held to your back uh, instead to just shotgunning beers. That should be what a shotgun wedding now is. Right? That's like um, breaking the glass at a Jewish wedding. Exactly. <laughs> instead of saying your vows, you just shotgun. I think it's great. I think it'd be a really nice bond. Really nice. Sounds like something like, that they do in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was about to say, like, I feel like you're gonna get a good bit of support from the South on yep. that one. Yep. <laughs> a lot of go. Southerners are gonna hey, be. Man, we're, gonna, we're gonna get the solid middle of the country on board with that, from Minnesota, Wisconsin, all the way down. Uh, so the shotgun weddings. Let's make this a thing. Um, well, all right. Now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, uh, 
All right, it was great to be back, guys. I'll it see was you great. next week. Uh, we'll see you next week for uh, some news, I guess, football stuff. Because, you know, this was just the RB1 podcast, Pete Gets Married uh, edition. So hope you all enjoyed. Um, we actually do, despite the fact that we were on a break, uh, much like Ross Geller, the NFL clearly did not get the memo because uh, some shit has gone down in the news recently. Um, so we're going to talk. We're going to cover the news. Uh, and then we are going to bring up some training camp battles that we are watching, um, both from a fantasy perspective and obviously just a natural football perspective. But, guys, it's getting crazy to say this. We're starting to approach the time where we can become back a fantasy football-focused podcast. We don't need to kind of just randomly gargle about uh, actual football. We can start focusing our attention on actual fantasy things because drafts are starting to come up. There have been a few that I've seen floating around the interwebs. Um, so we'll start yeah. doing, start doing that shit. I am knee deep into the Scott fish bowl, which is a fantastic event. And I have to plug this. Uh, so the, the draft is very fun and it's like 900 some odd, uh, fans and analysts all doing drafts at the same time. Uh, but the really important thing is that Scott fish has set up a charity to be linked with this event called fantasy cares and he's up to something like $25,000 raised awesome. for a kind of Toys for Tots-like event. So uh, you can make donations at fantasycares.net. I mean, look it up online, Scott Fishbowl, you can find it. But it's a really, really cool thing that a lot of the fantasy community comes together to do. One, it's fun to have a big draft with all of these analysts and fans. And I feel uh, like I'm cheating to be considered one of the analysts because, like, I'm picking behind Andy Barron's in one of these leagues. Because you have a podcast, bro. Yeah, it's like I'm not I'm not an analyst compared to Andy Barron's. Right. Like. But anyway, uh, the the charity aspect is really cool. So I, I think it's awesome that Scott's doing this to to show that the fantasy community really cares. And on top of, you know, having fun playing Dungeons and Dragons with football players, <laughs> we can, you know, do cool things for the community. So I want to make a plug for that. And I'm, I'm so stoked to be a part of it. Dope. Nice. We should get him on the podcast. Scott, if you want to come speak on a podcast that's listened to by tens of people, tens of people, <laughs> this is your platform. Um, so we're going to do that. And then we're bringing back kudos and pudos just because I have some of the things that I need to talk about. Jordan actually brought this up in our Slack channel. Um, but there is a certain reality TV <laughs> show that <laughs> needs to be discussed at length. So uh, let's get back to uh, the news and let's get that news drop and get depressed. <laughs> Headlining the news, um, obviously, is the whole LaShawn McCoy situation, which we're going to keep our eyes on as more uh, reports come out. He was accused of domestic violence by, I believe, it was his ex-girlfriend's friend uh, on Instagram yesterday. Uh, but now it seems also that his ex-girlfriend's house was broken into and the thief attacked her. Um, so we talked about this again on our Slack channel before we did the show. Like, obviously we can express our opinions now, but Clark brought up the point and I agree with him. Um, we all kind of were in agreement here that let's kind of wait and see how everything kind of plays out. Because when news first broke on Wednesday or uh, yesterday, I know I, um, or I guess, which is technically Tuesday since people listen to this on Thursday. Uh, I was very quick to be like, Oh, shady McCoy, you awful human being. Um, 
which he doesn't have the best track record, but, you know, benefit of the doubt. And then, and then as more information has come out, it seems like, you know, there are a lot of moving parts. We'll let to see, wait to see how all the uh, parts kind of settle down before we make kind of, uh, our, you know, claims or opinions or whatnot. Yeah, for the most part, it kind of seems like a he said, she said at this point, but there is the element of the home burglary and um, the ex-girlfriend being assaulted. Uh, Shady McCoy might have some sort of alibi too, where the home was in Atlanta, but Shady's has reportedly been in Miami training for the upcoming season. So, I mean, at least we'll more than likely might find out some definitive proof because of this burglary. You know, we might, I don't know, find some fingerprints or, (laughs) you know, CSI this stuff. Yeah. And my only comment is, um, getting your feelings and thoughts out there first is not always best. Uh, this is again. So we're, we're recording 11th of July, 2018 at about 7 30 PM. Uh, so the details that I have about this is, uh, this lady's friend went on Instagram and made a post about an accusation. So before we fly off the handle and condemn a man, let's, let's wait. I'm not saying that he's innocent, but like, but, but let's just, let's be measured and, and wait. We're going to find the answer eventually. Let's not race to the bottom. So there you go. Something we'll watch. Uh, but news that we has already played out and we can already start expressing our opinions on uh, the Arizona Cardinals president, Michael Bidwell, is a hypocritical butt face. And I don't know how he's going to recover from that sick burn. I thought of it all afternoon just to really roast it in there. Uh, quick summary of events for those who have not been following the Bidwell's descent into treachery. Uh, so evidently Bidwell went to college with Trump's Supreme Court pick uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, so clearly Bidwell has been endorsing him, which is all fine and good. Like, you know, everyone has their you know, right to endorse who they would like. But since he owns the Cardinals, he's been he's had the site wrote the site wrote a piece about Kavanaugh and his endorsement of the Supreme Court pick and how they were childhood friends and and so then in a radio interview, he said that the piece wasn't about p- politics, despite the fact that it clearly was. And then he complains about people criticizing him, the owners, for requiring players to protest in the locker room, which is just hilariously ironic since the owners were all terrified of the players using their platforms p- for a political statement. And yet uh, here he is using his platform for doing the exact same thing. So uh, yeah, not the best look there, Mr. Bidwell. Yeah, I'm I mean. Personally, I am against the nominee and the process under which the nominee has come forth. Um, But at the same time, you know, Bidwell, hey, have your opinions, you know, support who you want to support. I'm not going to agree with it. Not everybody's going to agree with it, but that's fine. The part where I draw the line is where he's using like the team PR structure, right. yeah, basically to um, pump out these views. Um, it's like putting a giant microphone on them. It's almost like when the um, the White House Twitter account goes on, you know, attacking some uh, Democratic politician at this point. Like that's not necessary, and that's not becoming of the organization at all. And um, you know, if Bidwell have your opinions, but also let the players have their opinions, let them express themselves in um, the best professional way that these say fit. They're not, they're not using Arizona Cardinals Twitter account to be like, Hey, I want to kneel during the national anthem. It's, it's all very hypocritical and 
it just goes to show, you know, um, Bob McNair can, can say that the uh, inmates are running the assignment asylum and there will be no consequences. And in this case, I don't think there are going to be any consequences either. It's just all very hypocritical and that's all we can really say about it. Yeah. And I, I think this is in step with what you're saying, but I'm reminded of the old phrase that my dad told me it's the golden rule. Uh, he with the gold makes the rules. Uh, and when you own the team, yeah, you can do what you want with its assets and uh, there's clearly a disparity with the expected behavior for the plebes, in this case, the players versus uh, the owners. We've seen that with Jerry Richardson. We're seeing that with this. Uh, and I think it's good for just people to understand these are the groups that are involved when we start trying to talk about like what's right and what's wrong is uh, everybody's kind of doing what's best for them. So let's not give anybody uh, this superior moral ground just because you happen to agree with one of their arguments yeah i just think it's hilarious that he's that the nfl makes such a stint stink about the nfl players not being able to use their platform to to talk politics or promote their agendas and then here we have a president doing the exact same thing uh on all of the platforms that he has control over so yeah a little dark irony there for you and speaking of shitty owners clark already alluded to him uh, Panthers just sold after Jerry Richardson was kicked out of the work uh, out of the Panthers organization for workplace misconduct. But despite the fact that Richardson is getting the old boot, his gigantic statue of him holding a football surrounded by two enormous Panthers in front of the stadium won't be getting destroyed because as new owner David Tepper let it slip in his press conference, he's contractually obligated to keeping the statue up. Uh, which, if you were to open up the dictionary and flip through and look for fragile masculinity, is literally the definition of that, is having it in your contract. This is this was something that was in every everyone who was reaching out to to sell. It was part of the contract that they could not take down that statue of him, which, I don't know. I'll be curious to hear your guys' perspective on it, because in my, in my viewpoint, it's like, especially the way that uh, David Tepper was talking about how he wants to kind of take the Panthers in a different direction and, and kind of is building this new, you know, wants to kind of reconstruct the team and all this jazz. It's a, it seems like a very part of the, part of the past you'd want to kind of move on from uh, and not have at that. Everyone has to walk past in order to enter the stadium. But I also understand that Jerry Richardson was the person who brought football to Carolina and, you know, did do at least some good for, for kind of establishing the Panthers as an organization. So I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. Yeah. To me, this is just like the ultimate petty move. Like, hey, I'm gone. I sold the team. But guess what? There is going to be a literal physical embodiment of me right in front of the stadium that you'll see every Thursday, Sunday and Monday night. Like, that's just a super, super petty move. And I think if he was forced to sell the stadium and the team that that should come with every everything that is involved with that, the, the grounds, the property uh the statue everything he shouldn't have been able to get any sort of like addendums added into that sale of contract yeah and i think this goes back to my meandering comment from earlier this is the the people that have the money get to decide what is going to happen and it's cute that we get to talk about it but but this is the relationship that the nfl has set up with its players there's clearly a different standard uh 
for the owners than there is for everyone else in all of these organizations. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the the general movement of let's tear down the statues. I'm also not like incredibly opposed to that. Uh, but in this case, this isn't like some historical monument right. that's potentially being removed. That could be a discussion point. I mean, uh, I heard Mark Sessler on the around the NFL podcast say like, there are people that go to work there that might have been affected by this mm -hmm. man. And they're still going to see the seven foot bronze statue of him kind of lording over them. Uh, I mean, it just seems like a crappy situation, but, uh, the guys with the money make all the decisions and we're seeing that so clearly this week. Uh, yeah. so I don't mean to like hit it over and over again, but I, I just, I want to make the point of like, this is how stuff works guys. Like if you have $2 billion, you don't have to worry about what someone thinks about your statue. You just get your statue. And the only way that any of us can do anything about it is to not support the Panthers or not watch the NFL. And are right. you going to do that? Yeah. Well, it's just, it's crazy that you talk about, you know, that those who have the money can make, can make a, can make the deals or whatever. Uh, and the fact that like Tepper though, who just bought the team clearly also has the money can't do anything about like that seems that seems crazy to me that that was like part of his contract in buying the team is like you can't take down my statue and it's like well no it's his team now you can do whatever the f he wants but clearly not but anyways yeah and i feel like that statue survives until jerry richardson doesn't and then his kids are like as hey for a hundred thousand dollars we'll let you tear it down <laughs> we'll amend the contract guys the whole thing down just take him out of it those two panthers are dope af like those are that's intimidating shit to have to walk past in into the stadium for but can we make him look like Cam Newton? <laughs> can we just pound that little bronze face into the Cam Newton? Really turn an old white man into a young athletic man. Let's just do that. Let's Better just... yet, they should just go get that uh, rejected bust of Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> and just do a face swap. Just to mess with people. Just to mess, just to throw them in there. All right. Like, oh next. yeah, that's what that's what the old owner used to look like. We're uh, we're gonna put that on to the fake team stats. They now also have suddenly gotten an Adobe Photoshop skill set, and they're gonna to Photoshop that for us, and we'll post that out into the Twitter sphere because <laughs> that needs to happen. Uh, final news bulletin, and this is this is I'm hoping I'm hoping that this is like our traditional news where it catches everyone here on the podcast by surprise because I want to hear Clark and Jordan's live reactions to this. Fox is in talks to hire a new commentator. Guess who it is? It's Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher, continually <laughs> defying the odds to find work. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. I just can't. You can't hate the guy. I mean, you can't, but just like, ah. Uh, do you over under how many seven and nine jokes Jeff Fisher makes while on air as a commentator? Oh, man. He's got to get at like least one per a game. episode or like opening episode. Like I need some more context for this. Just in I just feel like I feel like Jeff Fisher. I feel. Did you guys have you guys seen Tour to Pharmacy? Uh, the HBO kind of forty minute sketch with Andy Samberg, uh, all about doping in the Tour de France. It's hilarious. Highly recommend you watch it. Um, but in that they interview uh, Lance Armstrong throughout it, and he's like starts off in complete anonymity, like you know no light on him and has a voice distorter then throughout this show he like gains more more light is shined on him and and basically so basically it's just like lance armstrong just not giving a flying f about the fact that he was busted for doping and it's just like actively just putting his middle fingers up to the whole cycling society 
Uh, I feel like Jeff Fisher at this point is just in on the joke and just doesn't care anymore and would like happily be like, yeah, I went seven and nine once. I can go seven and nine. Like heckle teams that like, you know, like the Browns go four and 12 and he's like, I don't know how they can't go seven and nine. Even I could do that. Is he going to be in the booth or is he going to, are they going to wedge him like between Howie and Terry, like <laughs> and be the sixth person? I mean, that's, oh, what, yeah. I, I want to see that. Uh, I have no idea. I just saw the headline and I was like, I am throwing this in because this needs to be t- discussed at length. I want to hear how many times he talks about punting the ball in the opponent's territory. <laughs> yeah, I would punt it here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the opposite of Tony Romo. Tony Romo is like giving good advice and like actively predicting plays. And, and Jeff Fisher's like, wow, they're at their opponent's 20. You could kick the 25-yard field goal, but I'd probably just punt it. It's third and one from the opponent's 35. Got to punt it here. <laughs> Got to punt it. You can't, you can't risk that third and one interception or fumble. Got to punt it here. Got to play the field position. The direction I'm going to take on this is – Again, not something that's original to me. I've heard uh, Chris Harris talk about this. I've heard a lot of other people talk about this. Like, we continue to accept as fans just crappy, grab ass commentary mm. from NBC and Fox and ESPN. Like, I don't know the last time something Deion Sanders said something meaningful about the game. Like, these shows are unwatchable. And all that you can do as a consumer is just not support them. Watch the pregame fantasy show, tweet about how you're not watching it. Uh, this Jeff Fisher hire is just another one of those hires. that's just like, we are being completely disrespected as fans that this is the guy that they're going to bring in to explain the nuance to us as fans. But it, it could be like, I, I, I understand on a, on a conceptual level, their thought process behind it. Like, who is it that's doing uh, – Bruce Arians is commentating for – Now, hold on. I want to see what Bruce oh, Arians I would, has to I say because Bruce – I didn't see that. Okay. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing Bruce Arians. I wouldn't dare. Bruce Arians is going to be amazing. I will hang up this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bruce Arians is going to be amazing on the mic. But, like, I understand the idea of bringing a coach in because it could be really cool. I mean, just think of what Tony Romo was able to do, where it's like you now get someone who's played the game, who's played a lot, who's played with the, these players and has coached and is understands the way that the game is played now, being able to break down plays and really kind of give you an in-depth look at how things are constructed and how things operate. That on the on like on paper is awesome. The issue is 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 who they're kind of trying to milk that out of. Like they're trying to do it with Jason Witten, they're trying to do it with Jeff Fisher. Like I don't really know if those they tried to do it with Peyton Manning too. I think they still might be trying to do it. And like Peyton Manning's got a decent sense of humor, but I don't want to listen to that guy drone on and on and on. Bruce Arians, I'm very excited for. Can't wait for Bruce Arians on the mic. Well, maybe. And I'm like, I'm not opposed to bringing in players or coaches, but like, Christ, if I have to listen to Dan Fouts for one more (laughs) Texans game, I'm Dan Fouts. Dan Fouts sadly is suffering from CTE before it was diagnosed. Oh, that makes me feel like shit. Are you serious Bro. or are you just messing with me? I'm I just that's my I think I think there's a uh, lot of things loose in Dan Faust's head. Okay, well he's not good at calling football games. That's right. all I'm saying. If he I has think, health issues, I, I, I wish know, him the I, best. This is just me speculating. It's just anytime oh, I listen God. to him commentate, I'm just like, Dan Faust has no fing clue what's he's going not on good. right now. Like I've been watching a lot of Game Pass lately, and like at the end of the season for the 49ers games, like uh 
I'm I'm so sorry that I can't remember the woman's name, but they it's the only like female play by play person there is. Oh, yeah. You hear her every once in a while in preseason, and she's so good. She's great. And, and that people like that aren't getting the opportunity so that they tried to pair Harold her with Owen. Rex Ryan, and Rex Ryan was awful. She was great. God, what is it? It's not Michelle Tafoya, is it? No, it's no. it's someone that you've never heard of. She's not yeah. a sideline reporter. She's a proper play by play person. No, she was she's great. And then they paired it with Rex Ryan and she would like make comments and wait for Rex to give some color commentary. And Rex would be like, I made the tackle. God damn it, Rex. I'm just frustrated that there are clearly so many talented people out there that could be presenting the game to us. And we keep going back to like seven and nine, Jeff Fisher and like Dan Marino. (laughs) Like, like, I'm not hating on you, Dan Marino, but like, I've never heard you say anything interesting on the pregame. So like, Let's get some people that know what they're talking about that add to the broadcast instead of just this, again, to steal the line or, from Chris Harris. This Tony, is just grab Tony ass. Dungy's pregame you know? shit. Oh my God. I, I don't know. Oh, it's awful. Seems like a great dude. Don't want to no. hear him talk about football. I don't want to hear him talk about anything. No. Tony, sorry, Tony Dungy. Tony Romo last year just reemphasized my point of there needing to be like a statute of limitations on how long somebody can comment for. It's just sports in general. Like we saw it with John Madden. He yeah. kind of went down the <laughs> pretty fast. We're watching it literally right before our eyes with Terry Bradshaw. I don't want to besmirch Terry Bradshaw at all, but there are some days when you can just tell he is not there. No. Same I, with Jim Johnson. Jimmy John. Like it would be great if we could see like I would listen to an entire game of like Mina Kimes and um Katie Nolan just going back and forth with each other. Like that would be fun. That would be different. Troy Aikman can take a walk. <laughs> oh, thank God. And like uh, Troy Buck. Go Troy, jump off. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. The only thing they're good for is they're like simultaneous ejaculation photos where they freeze it and they're both just like. They are just like when you ask the question, like, what does white middle America that gets offended at everything want? You see a picture of Joe Buck setting this to Troy Aikman and everyone's like. Yes, sir. God bless America. That's, that's America. Joe or no. Troy Aikman's not even looking out of the booth unless the Cowboys are playing. Like unless no. he's at Jerry World, he's out. He doesn't give. Fortunately, every goddamn three fifteen game on Fox is the Cowboys. Every single one yeah, is the Cowboys. Oh my god! Just just accept it, NFL. It's like the same thing. It's like when when sports and television try to push like a, a old established franchise. They're like, keep hoping, like keep trying to like not push it from the dead, you know, but like revive the carcass. It's like, come on, you guys, you were once good. Like if, we're, if we put you on national TV five times, you're going to be freaking amazing this season. It's like, no, just accept that they're done and put good teams on. I mean, the one good thing about the schedule is I usually get to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner in my uh, den of Cowboys fans as the Cowboys fail triumphantly on national TV. It's <laughs> like the one time that it pays off. It's nice. I can't, it's, it blows my mind that the Cowboys and the lions just are always on Thanksgiving. It's like, really? Those are the two teams that are going to consistently get pub time on, on Thanksgiving. Anyways, America. 
uh, Troy Aikman, Joe Buck, America's <laughs> America's commentating team. I feel like we did 30 minutes on the state of commentary in the NFL. Hell yeah. I love it. I love it. Season for another couple hours, oh, too. You know, we can, like, we can, we're, we'll have a podcast where we just completely dedicate to to the uh, state of commentating in, in the NFL. It's like um, the third worst commentary of any major sports. <laughs> it's awful. It's so bad. Uh, okay. Well, there you go. There's the news. Um, so now we're going to talk about some camp battles that we are watching. Um, and these are just, just looking at kind of pairings that we want to see kind of how it plays out, see whether or not this is going to give us some fantasy advice or just kind of a, an idea of how maybe who's going to get the most snaps, blah, 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 blah. It's pretty straightforward. I don't really need to explain it. Don't know why I'm trying camp battles. We're watching Jordan start us off with the first camp battle that you are going to tune in because you need to know how this plays out. Yes. So um, speaking of the Arizona Cardinals, I will be laser focused in on the Josh Rosen versus Sam Bradford battle. Um, I know it is kind of seems like a foregone conclusion that Sam Bradford is going to at least start out the season. Um, he's making $20 million this year. That kind of seems like something you might want to try. But I will float this out here that Nick Foles, his cap hit is about $13.6 million this year and then $20 million next year. Now, I know he just won the Super Bowl and Sam Bradford has never come close to sniffing the Lombardi trophy. But there is some precedent for having a backup QB making that much money and just kind of handing the reins over. I mean, you, you're going to pay him to start or you're going to pay him not to start. You know, that money's coming out either way. Um and what does Arizona really have to lose anyhow? You know, you have a rookie QB coming in. You're losing pieces on defense. Um, Larry Fitzgerald is kind of, actually, who knows? He's like a bionic man. He might not be sundowning just yet. But um, throw him in there because you're going to be battling with the Rams and the 49ers likely all season long for that division. Um, David Johnson is just about as good of a security blanket as you can get for a young rookie QB because he can run the ball. He can catch the ball. Um, doesn't hurt that I have Josh Rosen on a dynasty fantasy league. So I will be tuning in very, very closely. There's, I love, there's the real impetus behind it. I love to hear Jordan, who I consider the better analyst on the show, liking something because of a fantasy team. Of course. <laughs> It's the only way to it's the only way to make your decisions. That makes me feel better about myself, and I appreciate <laughs> that, Jordan. I gotta keep my eyes on it. <laughs> I think the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals are gonna ride the Sam Bradford train for as long as it stays on the rails, which in his history is probably like three weeks uh before he gets some sort of injury. Uh and then and then they'll entirely be Josh Rosen's team to to run with. But it definitely is gonna be interesting to see. What's gonna be interesting for me to watch is how just Josh Rosen Rosen looks. Um, because there was so much kind of talk about him and his mechanics and the fact that he was the cleanest passer in this draft. And a lot of the kind of negativity around him was his, it, that he was too smart and too millennial <laughs> that he cared and asked questions. And right. Exactly. That he, yeah. Oh my God. Uh, we don't need to start that tangent again. Um, so I'll be curious to see how he actually looks on a football field. Cause if he looks good on a football field, I I agree with you, Jordan. That money's getting paid no matter what, and the Cardinals, I think, are going to roll with whoever's better. I don't think Sam Bradford is a lock to start. Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point about how much is the quarterback position costing you. Mm. There's a lot of quarterback rooms where there's, you know, 
20 million for the starter and 5 million for the backup. So that's a total cost of 25. Uh, and I think that might be kind of what we see in Arizona. So, so much unlike the jets or the bills who have some quarterback controversy with their new draftees, this is kind of a win-win situation for the Cardinals. So Sam Bradford has the opportunity to go out there and show how great he is, which we saw last year in the first week that he played before he got hurt. So he could go out there and light it up and he could limp the Cardinals to like a nine and seven season. And Josh Rosen could sit on the bench and, and get seasoned. And that's so good for young quarterbacks we've seen, or if, if things go to hell and Sam or Sam Bradford gets hurt, uh, th- then you kind of it's like, oh, there's nothing we could do. We had to bring in the rookie. And so we got Josh Rosen some uh, experience before he goes into his next year. So I think the Cardinals are really the only team this year with that rookie quarterback that it's a completely win-win situation. And the fans wouldn't lament, oh, we're benching $20 million a year. It's just like, oh, like, oh, he got hurt and we're bringing in our rookie. This is perfect. This is what we set up for. I think that I I could see the Cardinals really trying to recreate what the Chiefs did last year. I think they're going to try to ride Sam Bradford for as long as they can. And whenever Josh Rosen needs to come on, Josh Rosen comes on. So, yeah, it's a good thing to watch. And the main thing is, yes, it might be $20 million sitting on your bench, but it's not $20 million for the next three to four years. It's $20 million just this year. That's what you do when you have a young rookie quarterback in this league. You just pick up players spend that cap and then make sure you are smart enough to have some good flexibility when your actual long-term QB is up for a big deal. I'm really excited about the Cardinals this year. Yeah. Uh, Cardinals will be fun to watch. Sneaky choice for my QB or for my camp battles to watch was the wide receiver situation. And uh, why I think it's not interesting is like, it's going to be Larry Fitzgerald and uh, Christian Kirk. And that's about it. That's about it. I almost picked that too. Ricky Seals Jones. Uh, friend of the podcast, Ricky Seals Jones. <laughs> friend of the podcast. Never forget. Um, speaking, staying on the quarterback, rookie quarterback, could they overthrow the current starter train? Uh, camp battle that I'm watching. Uh, podcast favorite, Lamar Jackson versus Joe Flacco. <laughs> oh, cue the Angels music. Oh, uh, I'm just curious to see how the Ravens handle this because they're both very different quarterbacks. Uh, and so I don't think what you're going to see, because with Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen, right, they both are, go- they both play in the same offense. They're both very similar quarterbacks. And so you're going to be able to directly compare the two, but Lamar is going to have to shine playing a pocket focused offense because that's what the Ravens are going to be simulating with Flacco. So ultimately all I want to see, I just, we, w- I mean, I'm speaking broadly for the podcast here, but I feel like I can do that. We want to see Lamar take over because Lamar is much more exciting. Joe Flacco is boring and offers nothing in fantasy. Uh, So I just, I'm excited to see Lamar just take the field and kind of see what he can do because if he can show something playing a pocket based offense, ah, the money's already spent as Clark's been saying, I think you got to bench flaccid. Yeah, I think, my my best analogy for Joe Flacco was he was a first baseman that was hitting 44 home runs the year before he got his contract. And then he got his uh, seven-year, $200 million baseball contract from not drawing any parallels, but the Los Angeles Angels, and then started batting like a bucks, 
96 or something like that. So God, I think who does that remind me of, <laughs> I think the best case scenario for him is to have a little motivation, yeah. somebody behind him, possibly pushing him for the starting role. And if Lamar Jackson takes over the starting role, then again, just reaping the benefits of watching Lamar Jackson play every Sunday, which is going to be great. Yeah, I'm completely torn between my head and my heart on this one. In our group chat, uh, at Haji Blackburn brought up, hey, they're paying Joe Flacco $20 million a year. So the idea that they're going to put him on the bench for the guy that fell to the 32nd slot in the draft is is pretty unreasonable. Uh, but my sophisticated, I hope, response to that is, nah-uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're wrong. I like that other guy. So, yeah. I also just um, want to. I also want to say before before Ravens fans all get up in my mentions and Baylor fans, we can also add RG three to that list. That's a, he can he can join that camp battle. Pete, stop! I'm trying to make a point. So, <laughs> uh, this is unfair because it's not quite the same situation with as much money and commitment. But I remember last year. Bill O'Brien for the Texans saying, nope, Tom Savage is our guy. We want to go into the season with an established drop back quarterback. And that lasted a half. Now, again, I understand it's not like a one-to-one comparison. Joe Flacco has done much more than Tom Savage has. But when I watched Joe Flacco play last year, he just didn't look good. He looked terrible. It was a very uncreative Ravens offense. It was an extension of what I've been seeing for the Ravens offense for the past couple of years, ever since they uh, won the Super Bowl. Had ever since they won the Super Bowl, and gave Joe Flacco that freaking contract. Yeah. Uh, and I think that Harbaugh is a good coach. So if I was a good coach and I had this wet sock quarterback who has apparently checked out after we gave him his money, and I had this other young. Everyone bet against him. Dry sock. Five arm. <laughs> yeah, dry sock. <laughs> Live arm. Uh, good pocket mobility. Looks like he can run an NFL offense. Knows how to work under center. Uh, gives you a little bit of rushing ability, which can help rookie quarterbacks. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't just go ahead and go with the young guy. Like, you're, Joe Flacco is not going to play for the Ravens for the next three years. Yeah. So why make me paying him twenty million dollars this year be a main contributing factor of who what I said who I decide to start week one? Um, again, this is totally as a fan and a fantasy analyst. No, but we've we've but, already established on this podcast that we can run the Cleveland Browns better than they are currently being run, and so I feel like we can start taking that to the next level and start finding fixing other teams. We're totally within our right to do that. You know what? If Lamar Jackson starts lighting up training camp, then the hype is just going to be it's going to be out of control. <laughs> the, the He's going to complete one pass from the pocket, and everyone's going to just lose their shit. It's going to be insane. There's not going to be any other rookie quarterbacks that matter if Lamar Jackson starts lighting it up. <laughs> Can't wait. He is a second half comeback in the first preseason game away from oh, taking the job. Oh, like 100%. If, if he comes in in the second half and just lights up whoever yeah. they play yeah game game set match he's winning oh man i feel bad about my pick now because it's not as exciting as you guys ah, but uh my my pick is the the cowboys wide receiver situation uh i don't think that anyone 
for the Cowboys is going to be super effective this year. But where I think there's so much value in watching how these things are going to play out is that all of the wide receivers for the Cowboys are going so late. And I think it's reasonable to think that one of them is going to be that thousand yard 70 catch guy. And the guy that I think that's most likely going to happen with is Alan Hearns, because he's the only guy on the roster that hasn't proven that he can't do it. <laughs> and and to a be fair, bar. <laughs> well, I have a Michael Gallup blurb too, but Alan Hearns had a thousand yard season with Blake Bortles. The only other wide receiver to do that was Allen Robinson. And he looked like a hybrid of like Odell Beckham and DeAndre Hopkins when he did it. Right. So like that's the only time that Blake Bortles has looked like a competent quarterback is when he had those two wideouts working for him. I think Dak Prescott is a much better quarterback than Blake Bortles to be bold and to put that <laughs> to out really there. Go out on a limb. Yeah. So I think Alan Hearns is really interesting, especially since he's going so late. That's the kind of guy that you can draft for your fifth or sixth wide receiver. And if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, you can cut bait easy and you haven't yeah. lost anything. Michael Gallup is also a guy picked in the third round this year in the real NFL draft. And a couple of the blurbs that I've read about him were like the reason that he didn't play for a major conference is like his academics weren't that great. But everywhere that he's played, he's absolutely dominated. So he's one of those rookies that I think could get you like 50 or 60 catches and with a couple of injuries could give you a couple spot starts. So that's really interesting. And then the last interesting thing about this wide receiver uh, core that I'll be really interested to see how it breaks out in camp is uh, I think we're going to see a much more similar offense to the 2016 Cowboys that we see to this year where they're dominated by Ezekiel Elliott getting a ton of touches. Uh, and then a guy like Cole Beasley stepping in and getting like 80, 90 catches for like 900 yards. So a really good PPR third wide receiver flex option. Uh, so I, I, I think it's going to be cool to watch the Cowboys this off season to see if they're getting enough out of their passing game for these guys to be interesting, or if we should just completely abandon this and just, draft Zeke and stay away from everyone else. I think if it's, if it's like the 2016, um, then you're going to have to rely on Al either Alan Hearns or uh, Michael Gallup getting you touchdowns in order to have any kind of fantasy relevance. But yeah, I like it. It's a good group to keep an eye on. Yeah. I think the Cowboys are generally just going to benefit this season from knowing that they're going to have Zeke Elliott week in and week out. Yeah, That's big. That's going to be a, a big thing for them. Um, Troy Aikman's going to be in the booth hyping up the Cowboys. So <laughs> oh yeah, be, so you know it's going to happen, it'll, baby. It'll be good. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, I think having Alan Hearns definitely helps them um, fill that that vertical role that Des Bryant was yeah. was filling as the the play action guy. Perfect. Jordan, give us your second camp battle that you're watching for, and if anyone followed. Uh, Jordan on Twitter. This is what I was so uncontrollably hyped about. Okay, I actually switched it. I'm no! sorry. I, I wanted it to be a little bit more close to fantasy relevance than um, offensive line. Holding <laughs> back the piano curtain. It was but, an offensive line battle that Jordan rejected, which is very upsetting to me. 
I went I went with the second best thing though. I went with a tight end battle. Yes. Because I think equally I, as good. People like to neglect tight end kicker defense in redraft leagues, but I think they're so vitally important to getting oh, you those done extra a kicker battles. Uh, I should have done a kicker battle. We're from Puerto Aguayo this year. Oh. Um but I I chose to look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tight end battle um, because they have Cameron Brait. They just handed him a six-year contract like it's 1997. And um, O.J. Howard, their second-year tight end, who was picked in a lot of, um, you know, top 10 tight end possibility last year, even though he was a rookie just because he was a – freaking horse when he was running down the field um it's pretty comparable as far as their stats last year um Brait had more catches with 48 um he added 591 yards and six touchdowns um that was actually a step back from 2016 uh he still got a new contract anyway um Howard had 26 um catches but he did more with those catches having 432 yards and six touchdowns himself um, so not a whole lot of difference there. I think ideally the Buccaneers want OJ Howard to just take command of the role. I mean, they need somebody other than Mike Evans to step up on offense and do some things. Um, one thing that's key, um, Cameron Brait's contract was like six years, 40 million, something like that, 18 million guaranteed, but they can actually get out of it next season already with $0 in dead cap money. Um, that's according to overthecap.com. So um, OJ Howard, Cameron Brait, that battle to see if, you know, the veteran incumbent can kind of keep a hold on to that um, from the, you know, already deemed Pro Bowl OJ Howard, who has yet to necessarily show that he's a top tight end in this league. But if he can make a jump this year, it'll be exciting to watch. My biggest, yeah, the, the, the only comment I have on that is that O.J. Howard suffers from being a very good tight end, where Cameron Brait is a very good receiving tight end. So it will be interesting to see this year if they go more towards we have this chess piece on the field where you can't tell what we're doing. And O.J. Howard is definitely good enough to be that receiving threat. Or if they say, look, we have this great receiving option in Cameron Brait, let's go ahead and put both of them out there on the field and do the same thing. So that's a super interesting uh, camp battle to watch this year. My worry is that Jameis Winston has already kind of established a repertoire with uh, camera break, especially in the end zone. And my worry is that OJ Howard is going to be like the guy who ends up with 60 catches for 900 yards and like two touchdowns. Whereas camera break's going to have, you know, 25 catches for, you know, 200 yards and seven touchdowns. Like Cameron Brait's going to be the go-to guy in the end zone. Whereas OJ Howard is going to get you all the yardage and all the receptions and be great from that standpoint. But it is going the, the lack of touchdowns is really going to come back to kind of bite him, bite his fantasy value. That's my worry, but I could be wrong. I could just, it could just entirely be OJ Howard's uh, position to lose, but yeah, good battle to keep an eye on. Yeah. And, you know, that's just the thing about it is whether or not it's going to end up being a two tight end battle or if OJ Howard or just Cameron Bright himself, he's a scrapper who was, I believe, undrafted out of Harvard. Um, If he can actually go and 
grab the reins. He might already have a pretty solid connection with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzmagic, who's going to be playing a little bit. Those smart boys going to be connecting for four games already. Who knows? We could on the podcast that we talk about who's a better commentator and and how we fix the NFL commentating world. Let's also dedicate a segment to the Fitz Magic curse of him. Whatever team he's on, he gets playing time no matter what happens. I would really like to see Fitzpatrick in the booth. I would like to see Fitzpatrick in the booth. You would be a good commentator. He he just he also for whatever reason, man, the Fitz curse or whatever it's called is a real thing, and I think it's that Harvard education has taught him how to like, you know, get get quarterback get starting quarterbacks out of his way so that he can take over. I just feel like I have a little bit of that the secretary streak in me. I just want someone to condescend to me. Mm. While I'm watching it. Look at that. Spike. Yeah, add a little bite to your to your football experience. Wow. There are uh, a couple well actuallys at you. <laughs> well, actually, what happened there? Well, actually, <laughs> this is not what you think happened. Uh, I had to wait for Clark to get back from the bathroom so that I could do my second camp battle because this is just for you, Clark. Doing a little chub chub talk just for you. Carlos Hyde versus Nick Chubb. Uh, I'm a big Carlos Hyde fan, and he's had some good fantasy seasons, and people have kind of forgotten about that, I feel like. Uh, so I liked him when he landed with the Browns, who, cl- who will clearly run the ball, and we all know what Tyrod can do to a run game since he had a wild success, and, and Shady McCoy got helped a lot by kind of Tyrod's escapability and the fact that defenses have to worry about it. So that all played very nicely to my kind of Carlos Hyde hype. But then they drafted Nick Chubb, who Clark has gone on the record saying is better than Saquon Barkley. And in fact, that the Giants were idiots for taking Saquon Barkley at number two instead of Nick Chubb. So now I'm just completely confuzzled and I just don't know what to do. So I need to see it play out in camp. Uh, Pete's utilizing what we like to call (laughs) the business hyperbole. Uh, No, these are facts. I love (laughs) what I saw from Nick Chubb, especially later in the season. I feel like, Outside of Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb was clearly the most talented back in this class. And I think it's going to be interesting to see which one is more talented over the next few years. I think it's kind of like 70-30, probably going to be Saquon, just because, boy, he's got some LaShawn McCoy quicks. Some massive quadriceps. Yeah. Lord, those things are tree trunks. Eli Manning likes those. And so I think, like, kind of the optimal output for both of these guys, I think for Saquon Barkley is, like, a little bit more talented LaShawn McCoy, who ends up in a better situation than LaShawn. Or, to me, for Nick Chubb, uh, a little bit plus receiver, more athletically talented kind of Emmett Smith guy. Damn. And, and so that's what breaks my heart about the Cleveland situation is I also think that Carlos Hyde is good. Like he's good. Yeah. They should have gone and spent the money on him and they gave him a reasonable deal. And then you go pick the guy that I love to ostensibly back him up. And then you have Duke Johnson in the fold. So this is going to be a great situation to watch because would any of us be really surprised if they were like, nope, sorry, Carlos Hyde. We didn't think we were going to get Chubb. You're clearly the backup. Or would anyone be surprised if like Duke Johnson ends up getting like 12 touches a game? 
Yeah, no. Uh, uh, I think the biggest thing for Chubb is going to be just his injury, right? His knees and seeing how those hold up. But I, the Browns played this perfectly because Carlos Hyde is a very serviceable starting running back. And if Nick Chubb is anything that he was before he destroyed his body, uh, you're now suddenly uh, have a wealth of riches to, to pick from. So Cleveland Browns actually uh, actually doing things right. We yeah, fixed bro, it, you guys. It's not like um, Carlos Hyde is going – because he was in no man's land with San Francisco right. when they were purposely losing. So you kind of forgot how actually good he was for fantasy purposes and to his team. But it's not like he's going to like a more <laughs> prominent uh, franchise and situation uh, with the Cleveland Browns. But Carlos Hyde is still a very, very good running back. And I think he could possibly – um grab that starting role and be the main three down back um i i think i may be a little bit biased because hold on to your trousers here pete i thought sony michelle was the better uh but i maybe i just have to go watch some more chub tape who knows <laughs> get my chub on uh, pete yeah. if you could just uh tell jordan that we're no longer on speaking terms. Cool. Then Jordan Clark says you're no longer on speaking terms. Um, oh. Bottle of Maker's Mark coming your way. <laughs> Ooh, man, I'm not on speaking terms either with you, Jordan. Yeah. You just got uh, married. You got the best prize of all. <laughs> Clark, wrap us up with the final training camp, training camp battle that you are going to keep eyes on. Yeah, so the, the first one I went with was the Cowboys, which is all these are super late guys that you can pick and if you miss it's not going to matter and the next one i'm going to go with are, are the kansas city pass catchers with uh mahomes in there and it's not so much the battle for who's going to be number one or number three but just how they're going to be used so the adp for these guys is pretty insane we have tyreek hill going in the third we have travis kelsey going in the second and we have uh Sammy Watkins going in the sixth to be playing with a quarterback who I think people are rightfully so excited about, but who's played one game and wasn't that good. He's a rookie quarterback. Base, yeah. Like, so. Turned down the hype train. I know he looked okay in week 17 against Denver, but I think if you go watch that game, it's the perfect reason why you should be a little cautious with these guys. So what I think it's going to come down to is volume. And are we going to look at a Pat Mahomes who understands checking the ball down to like a Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt type of outlet receiver, or are they just going to F and go for it? Do it. Chuck it to Sammy Watkins and chuck it to Tyreek Hill. Because if they are just going to chuck it, Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins are both values, and Grab so is Travis Kelsey. Everyone. Yeah. If they're going for the dump off, let's play conservative and not lose the game on offense approach. Really want to look at Kareem Hunt as like creeping into the first round. Yeah. So I'm going to be really interested to see what we see from them. Yeah. It's a good, a good, uh, good group to wrap up the segment with. Andy things, Reid puts up points. Gonna happen. Things are going to happen for that offense. And if I were a betting man, I'd put my money on Kareem Hunt, but uh, I could easily see Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey or even, dare I say, 
Clark's main man, Sammy Watkins. My main squeeze, Mr. Watkins. But we talked about this in our chat. Like, I feel like I don't understand what I'm missing with Kareem Hunt, a rookie that led the NFL in rushing last year. And he's going in the middle of the second round during the revival of the running back early position. Like when I'm picking late in drafts at like 110 and it comes back to me at 202 and Kareem Hunt is there. I am stoked. Hands down. It's like the AJ Green thing. You take you take Kareem Hunt yeah. and AJ Green and as your as your back-to-back picks at the end of the snake. If you are not doing that in every single draft, you are an idiot. Yeah, yeah. I um that's, that's I a, inex- that's a fancy advice for the week. I inexplicably watched just a lot of Chiefs games last year. I, I have no skin in the Chiefs game. I'm not a Chiefs fan at all, but when they were at their best is when they were doing some funky, you know, run pass option stuff, whether that's um, bringing Tyreek Hill into the backfield or coming on end around because he's just a flat out playmaker or pitching it to Travis Kelsey, who's coming behind the um, line of scrimmage on some dump off passes Uh, where they got stale is when they, um, God, who was their third string wide receiver last year? Was it Albert Wilson? Albert Wilson. Yeah, Albert, yeah. When he got hurt, that's when the offense stalled a little bit and they started going to a little bit more generic base stuff. And that's when they're uh, coincidentally, their little uh, rut started to happen for them. But I think if Pat Mahomes can kind of master the, uh, the fun Andy Reid offense that he had with, Alex Smith, who isn't the athlete that Patrick Mahomes is, then I think they can really hit the ground running right away. Could be fun. Well, I just a, a little point of contention. I think Alex Smith is a much better athlete than Pat Mahomes, but Pat Mahomes is a much stronger armed quarterback uh, and a much more daring quarterback. Uh, cool. Well, there you go. There's your camp battles to pay attention to. Uh, let's wrap up the show because I uh, just want to bring it I back. can talk about this for like hours, but you're right, Pete. I'm sorry. Let's go. <laughs> okay. We'll add it into our never-ending podcast about commentators and and the Chiefs. And what, what was our other thing? I wanted to talk about Steve Kimes' DUI and how I feel oh, like it's Kimes. atrocious. That, we should have just uh, thrown that in with, the, with, uh, with, what's his name, Bidwell's little being a poop face. I'll go ahead and do it. Or, or no, we, we have kudos and pudos coming up. I'll, I'll wait. All right. Well, I only wanted to bring kudos back because I've got two things to talk about, but mainly uh, kudos to Jay Cutler for being the reality star we never knew we needed until literally right now. Uh, the lack of f***s that he gives is just beautiful to witness. He's just doesn't care about this show. So the show, what is the show called? It's a, it's his, it's his wife's reality show. Very Cavallari. Very Cavallari. Trust Jordan to know his shit. Uh, he's just a dick to everyone on the show. He at one point randomly has a cooler of elk meat that he just brings around. Uh, it's the perfect amount of Jay Cutler to just experience and to enjoy. First time I worked out in two years. Hey, why'd you take a two-year break? Well, I was a hairdresser, so I feel like I got my workout in with a blow dryer and stuff, you know? You can't be serious. What? <laughs> He's just such a dick to everyone. I love it. 
it it forces you to go on a deep dive too of like moments during Jay Cutler's NFL career where he just gives zero flying Fs like that um that wildcat play in Miami. Oh, yeah. He's just standing on the sideline, not even gonna pretend to run around. He's just like Fuck it's it. just I'm it, here. <laughs> it's amazing to me that professional athletes are always touted as these people. And and you have to be in order to reach that level of play. They're always touted these guys who just like and women who just like have this driving force to be the best, right? That they're hyper competitive and they just like always are pushing themselves because you need to be that to be, you know, the best 200 people at this sport in the world in order to play professionally. It's amazing to me that someone like Jay Cutler, who at no point in his life have I ever seen him care about anything, uh, m- made it as a professional quarterback for multiple years. It's crazy to me. Yeah, you you hear stories of like Michael Jordan wanting to like make people cry and beating right. games on the team plane and like ruining Kwame Brown's career. And then there's Jay Cutler, who's <laughs> just maybe not that competitive of a guy. Who knows? Kudos to Jay. Kudos to Jay for being Jay. You do you, buddy. I'll I'll do the kudos that I was about to rant on, Hit unfortunately, it. earlier. Uh, so uh, Cardinals GM? Yeah, right? he's the general time. Uh, so <laughs> I could have the details wrong here. And in true, I'm going to rant at the end of the podcast form. I'm going to assume that I know what I'm talking about. Yes! So... Steve Kime got pulled over at a DWI checkpoint and was busted for DUI. Uh, So first of all, you shouldn't drive drunk. It's shitty. You can end someone's life accidentally. And and there are consequences that uh, are very hard to understand after you've had five or six beers and you feel like you're fine. So so just call the Uber and, and just don't drive drunk. Period. Next paragraph. I am appalled that when discussing this story, we're talking about how he shouldn't have been driving drunk instead of we live in a place where we have the fourth amendment, which protects you from unlawful search and seizure. uh, But we allow everyone going in a certain direction on the road to be pulled over by the cops just to make sure you're cool. Uh, So I'm going to use this, platform that i have to complain about like hey let's think about how we act as citizens and what rights we're able to give up because i think it's easy to say like oh well it's for the the greater good for these things to exist uh and i think it's really easy for things like that to get out of hand so my pudos is just that uh we live in a system where you can just be pulled over for driving down the street uh, that's my kudos. I'm sure there is a large portion of America who would agree with you on that, particularly African Americans who also right. just get pulled over for driving down the street. As a white guy who drives a nice car, I can't delve into that, but I'm sure there's some parallels for other folks. That's the world we're living in, guys. Anyway, yeah. Uh, my final kudos is a kudos and a kudos. Uh, it's to Gordon Hayward and the worst gender reveal of all time. Uh, so my kudos are to the video itself because it's so painful to watch, but also hilarious. Uh, if you haven't seen the video, so they <laughs> they have a box filled with balloons and you know Hayward opens it and the balloons all float out and the balloons are all pink. 
Clearly, he wanted blue balloons, uh, and his reaction was less than thrilled. Yay! You want a girl? Bernie, you were right. <laughs> is Daddy happy? Daddy's always happy. Daddy is not happy. <laughs> uh, always happy. Who knows? Because why would you post this video? Like, you have complete control as to whether or not this goes out. I feel like Hayward thought that he, like, did a great job of containing his true feelings. Like, he was like, oh, just like you were talking about, Clark. How, like, when you're drunk and you're driving, you're like, oh, I'm not that drunk. Like, you shouldn't. Don't drive. Like, you can't you can't recognize your, your level of drunkenness. I think Hayward couldn't level recognize his level of, like, how well he hid his true feelings. He probably thought he was like, oh, daddy's always happy. And he's like, ah, oh, good job, Gordon. Pat on the back for, like, totally masking your disappointment. Uh, I just feel like if you watched this, you'd be like, oh, no, I did a horrible job masking my true feelings. Why Why put this out on the interwebs? I don't know. Kudos to that, Gordon. Also, who doesn't want three girls? Come on. Yeah, I mean, if somebody gets in my mentions for this, I don't really care. But I kind of feel for Gordon here. Like, maybe after two girls, maybe he just wanted a son. Maybe he wanted to try it. I mean... You can say that you're supposed to raise them all the same, but Mary, maybe in their family, there is a complete parenting difference. I'm sure there's a parenting difference between raising a a girl and raising a boy. I know. I just don't want all like the gender neutral people attacking me, but you know, looking at Smith 27. I'm going to be your, I'm going to be your fullback on this one. So please go, go (laughs) at NFL Clark at PM Rogers. Hit us up. Thank you. And you know what? I have friends who have had kids and they wanted boys. So you're not going to get on them for wanting boys rather than girls. And I grew up with two sisters and I know girls can be a little bit difficult sometimes. Yeah. So I've got a couple of things on this one. Like one, first of all, you're assuming that this man had complete control over this video going up or not. And Pete, as the resident married man, I'm sure you can understand sometimes you just do things because avoiding the argument is better. It's very fair. That's fair. So that could be in play here. That could be in play here. Uh, second of all, I I am not a big gender roles guy, but the idea that there is not, from a parenting perspective, a difference between having difference. a girl and a boy, like... You know what your son's never going to do? Come home pregnant. Yeah. You know, like to castigate a male who already has two daughters for being a little disappointed that he's going to have a third. I mean, let's stop being offended. Like, I can understand where the he's guy's also, coming from, right? He's also like, like it's it's in that moment. You know he's going to freaking love that kid when the kid is born. And like, of course love everything is. about her. And like, is going to adore her. And when she's 18 and she watches this video, she's going to give her dad a lot of reasonable shit for not being yeah. excited. She's going to get a nicer car when she turns 16 exactly. because of this movie. In right? the or moment, whatever. in the moment, you can, you can... Uh, you know, you wanted a certain thing. You didn't get it. You have a slight little bit of disappointment. I just find it hilarious that that it went live and just the, his you have to watch it because the his soul it's not even sulking. It's just like if he truly thought that he did a good job of hiding his disappointment, he did not. It was so apparent from like the instant those balloons came out. You just saw him crestfall. And hopefully that's the thing. Like, hopefully everyone in the family thinks this is funny. Right. 
That's going to show it to the girl when she's 10 and she's right. going to think it's funny too. Cause it's going to be some long standing joke. Right. Right. Yeah, like, Maybe this is a people hearing zebras when actually it's horses situation and that maybe Gordon Hayward is just anti-gender reveal. Maybe he just didn't want to be in front of a camera. Maybe yeah. that is his Jordan with the twist. Ex- excitement level for anything. Maybe he's just not a very excitable guy. And that was him being excited. <laughs> I am going to Sorry ask everyone <laughs> to disregard what I just said. That's the answer. And go with the obvious <laughs> of there was an adult with two children asked to participate in a gender <laughs> reveal party for their third child, and they were like, I just do not have the GD energy. It's fair. It's fair. Jordan, uh, Occam's razor, you have you've cracked you have it. nailed what is probably going on here. You've cracked the code. You've cracked the code. Jordan Gordon Hayward did not want to get dragged out. To yeah. open a box and watch balloons float away. Those balloons could have come out polka dot. <laughs> and he, and he would have said the same thing. <laughs> We're having a goddamn clown? Oh. <laughs> That's how you know that you're having a clown. <laughs> Can you imagine opening it, just polka dot balloons come out, and you're like, well, I know my child's profession. This is cool. Oh my God. I'm going to show him it at a young age. Uh, all right. So there you go. Poodles and kudos, camp battles, news everywhere. Oh, what a fun-filled episode to come back on. Uh, yeah, so we're back. You know, we're back and ready to go. We'll be back next week. We're gonna we're getting back on a rolling train because we're approaching August, and by approaching August, it means football is just around the corner, and fantasy drafts are going to be happening. We're going to be need to be giving advice. Shit's going down. And I can guarantee you, I promise we're gonna start talking about fantasy football as we edge towards the season. It's just the doldrums right now. Yeah, we got to fill the time like, somehow. Somehow, I, I, if you're a new listener, I promise we talk about fantasy. <laughs> you're a new listener, and if you've made listening. it through this far, if you're yeah. 78 minutes into the podcast and you're still <laughs> wondering, I promise we break down situations. We'll talk things. That we know our shit. Yeah. If you want to talk to us on the Twitter sphere, hit us up at RB1 Podcast. Uh, follow myself at Pete M. Rogers, Clark at NFL Clark, Jordan, who I think froze off. I re-invited him, but we'll see if he pops on just for the very end. At Jordan underscore Smith 27. And we will be back at your beautiful ear holes next week. Until then, peace!